Welcome to episode three of the Form Guide, inspiring conversations about managing our well-being in our form. This week, our guest is Nikki Green, founder and owner of The Contented Child, and we'll be talking a little bit about creating healthy learning environments. So, Nikki Green, welcome to the Form Guide. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely, my pleasure. So um, that was uh, my, my little um, kind of another brick in the wall by Pink Floyd. You know, I'm stating at the top, kids do need education. They absolutely need it. We're going to talk about uh, how to do it. But that was our, uh, our little opening gambit while we're um, dealing with all the technology here on the LinkedIn. And I guess it was the obvious one as well, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. It was. We had to do that one. So welcome, uh, Nikki Green. You are the um, founder and the owner of The Contented Child. And um, you're also uh, a child well-being consultancy. Um, and, you know, this, this um, session that we're doing today was really came about by the research that I posted the, from Oxford University about how parents uh, particularly are coping with their mental health and well-being through, through lockdown. And I've got a few stats here on my, my, my notes, but, um, you know, out of the 6,000 people that were um, uh, surveyed, we see an increase in depression, uh, a greater difficulty in relaxing, feelings of hopelessness, and, and being irritable, um, amongst many other things. And I guess um, really keen to uh, understand as we get into this about you know, kind of what's driving that and, and, and your work. But we always start with a question. We always start these with a question, Nikki, and that question is, how are you it's today? Something to catch me out. Oh, no, no, that's <laughs> coming. Today. <laughs> that's uh, coming. Um, yes, I'm good. I, I'm really busy at the moment. And uh, yeah, so I'm probably up there with your eight of 10, eight out of 10 as well. Eight out of 10. Brilliant. So that's the form score. So I'm an eight out of 10, pr primarily because I slept really well last night. My sleep's been a bit up and down, mostly because I'm quite excited about things that professionally we're releasing the new version of the form score app for testing today, which is very, very exciting. Um, but for me, sleep um, and, uh, you know, sleep has been driving my, uh, my, my form particularly this week. But I think also, you know, the, the sort of relationship with my children has been a, a bit fraught and we're going to talk about that you know because yeah, i think yeah, yeah it's stressful for uh, for children as as well as it is for um you know for us parents so i think that's definitely had an impact but you know feeling good today um so um you're an eight today what would a perfect 10 look like for you what would a perfect 10 day entail nikki is there ever a perfect 10 I think that's a really good. Realistic. Yeah, I think that's a really good question because, for me, I think it's a bit of an ideal, right? It's sort of lifetime peak form where all of the ducks need to, to be aligned, everything needs to, um, you know, go your way, and I think maybe you can get there just for a, a snippet of time, but where everything's in balance. Yes. Yeah. And actually, I think striving for a ten out of ten could actually make it very difficult to achieve. Yeah. So I think we need to be realistic. I think I think that is right. You know, I think if we're, yeah, form will come to us if we, um, good form will come to us if we do the fundamentals right and and prioritize our well being and and work on all of those things that keep us well. But if we're trying to be a ten out of ten, it just it won't happen because we'll be too stressed about that. 
And often I'll set targets for children with children for the work they're doing with me. But I always stress that they cannot aim for a 10. Yeah. The 10 is, is perfect. Yeah. And we're human beings. We aren't perfect. No, the beauty of imperfections and the beauty of being human, right? Absolutely. And it is our our children who are perfectionists who are the ones that will struggle with anxiety. That is true. That is true. So before we get into the the serious part of the discussion, um, um, I've got a quick fire round that you can't prepare for. So um, here we go. (laughs) So let's see how you do. So if mental health were an animal, Nikki, what, what animal would it be? Oh, these are not easy. No, I think mental health would be something that was very elusive, Mm -hmm. actually. So, um, oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of an elusive animal. This is where I need my son, isn't it? Um, So which animals are rare? Ah, the fishing cat. The fishing cat. Yes, whenever we go to the local zoo, you always look for the fishing cat. It's the enclosure and you can never see it. So actually, I think I think well-being can be mental health can be quite elusive unless we know the right strategies in order to achieve it. Brilliant. Elusiveness. Yeah. Uh, Shireen Daniels last week had the mental health leopard for that same reason, the leopard, you know, being, you know, camouflaged and skulking around a bit. But um, yeah, the fishing cat. I've never heard of a fishing cat. What is a fishing cat? Well, I haven't seen it. (laughs) Does it it exist? (laughs) It's a very small cat that does actually fish for its prey. Fantastic. I love that. I'm going to look that up. Okay. That's a great one. I've learned something new already. Um, If mental health were a colour, what colour would it be? Do you know what? It would have to be a spectrum of yeah, colour because yeah. obviously it looks different at different times. And it, it's very easy to think that in our down times, it's going to be very grey to black. Um, whereas in our up times, uh, certainly when I work with children, we very much colour code um, emotions in order to give them something to to catch on to where and in that case the the happy excited is is always green and a very uplifting color so I don't think you can say it is one color it's different color on different days absolutely love that so for the form score we've got a color for each score so this is my my sort of eight out of ten and they're all quite vibrant um but i love that idea of associating color with emotion because and particularly for children i think it's a really interesting way of describing you know how they feel and we'll talk a bit about my little boy today but we um you know, we'll, we'll often have a colour system for when he's kind of angry, he's in a red or a green mood or whatever. Absolutely. And it's actually the red, amber and green that I work on with. Yeah. Young people. Yeah. Brilliant. OK, so we're doing well with these. Um, now, this is a tricky one, Nikki. This is a tricky one. Okay. If mental health were a food, what would it be? If mental health were a food. I think if you get mental health right, then it's one of those comforting foods, those foods that maybe we had as as children that we very much associate with good memories. You know, that winter kind of food, that warming food that feels like you're getting a hug from it if we get it right. Yeah, I like that. So comforting. So if you had to pick a dish, your your favourite comfort dish, what would that be? 
Uh, it was a dish that my um, my dad did. Sadly, he's no longer with us, but uh, my mum used to work Saturday morning, so he always did um, Saturday meal. And bless him, he wasn't the greatest cook, but he could do uh, sausage, mash and beans. But he put it all in a dish with lots of grated cheese on the top. And uh, my own son still says, you know, occasionally, can we have a granddad special? Uh, and so that's emotional for us as a family. So that's my comfort food. Brilliant. I love that. And, and what a great comfort food. So, yeah, the mental health sausage mash dish, uh, a granddad dish. Brilliant. Love it. Um, the, 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 <laughs> the, the, these are great. So um, if you had to pick a song that represented mental health, uh, what would that be? And I know these are tough. I know these are tough. So if you were to be talking about a sound rather than a song, is that okay? Yeah, I've actually got that as a separate question. So we can do oh, that one first. Go and give us the mental health sound. The mental health sound is very much, if I'm struggling to sleep at night, then I put on the sound, storm sounds. Okay. So thunder and rain. Um, I have memories, and I think we do do this when we're needing comfort. We very much hark back to memories from our childhood. And we always went on holiday in the summer. And back then, unfortunately, quite a while ago, we used to have really hot days, but very stormy nights. And we'd be on holiday at Pontins. And, and I very much remember that as a very happy time. And uh, it's certainly something I do. I find that great. If I can't sleep, I put on those sounds in the background. So for me, they're linked to feeling good. Love it. I love it. Yeah, the sounds of a storm. And I, I call it the sound of the ocean as well. That, you know, for me, that, that that's a bit like you know, what I, I see my mental health. It can be calm, but it can be tempestuous um, and you know, always interesting. Yeah, and I have a story back to when my son was, he was only about five, and we always used to take the coastal road to school, and there was one day the wind was really blowing up, the sea was, was very lively, and he said, Mum, the sea's really mad today. So, so yeah, the sea really yeah. can. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay, so I'm going to come. A song now. Can't yeah, yeah. I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to come back to you in a song. Um, so have a think about that. Um, what about a holiday destination? If mental health were a place to go to, it would mental health once again. If it's right, it would. It depends, doesn't it? Because because everyone's view of what makes a good holiday is different. But very much mine is being on the beach with that sound of the. Uh, the waves coming in so it would have to be somewhere hi hey so this is Noah welcome Noah <laughs> hello <laughs> it yes it would have to be somewhere that was very relaxing somewhere tropical yeah definitely yeah for me I think um, I, I, I think India as a destination represents mental health because of the, the sheer range of things that are going on, the fact that it can be really chaotic, but it's beautiful, it's vibrant, it's colourful. Um, and, you know, whatever you want to get there, whether it's a relaxing trip or whether it's you know, visiting something new, that India for me represents mental health. Absolutely. I travelled Southeast Asia uh, a few years ago, and that's where I kind of hark back to. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. So um, coming back on the song, you know, we're not letting you off the hook just yet, Nikki. What, what, what would be your song choice for mental health? Uh, so in school, 
um, <laughs> the song Happy by Pharrell. Brilliant. So what I find is if the children that I'm working with in a group are a little bit low, feeling a little bit negative, I'll put that on and we all get up and, and have a, a dance to it. So, and it can't help but lift the mood in the room. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, I, I do. I, I do. I'm the crazy lady. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. The power of music, though, on our well-being and mental health, it's it's underestimated, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, for parents who are struggling at home, just put some music on and have a 10 minute dance party. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for the quick fire round. There's some uh, some great things in there. Um, and, um, you know, I, I love particularly the, the, the sort of colour, the spectrum uh, that definitely uh, resonates well with me. Um, so um, tell us about your work um, with the contented child and your background and, and just a little bit more about kind of what it is you do, Nikki, if you don't mind. So I've been working with young people to support them with their emotional well-being. Um, it started out as behaviour, but as I explained to you earlier, we've really um, we've, we've shifted the emphasis on that because we realise that it's the emotions that drive behaviour. 20 years ago, we looked at it more as behavior. Fortunately, now we can see it's emotions that drive that. And so I've been supporting children with doing that for 20 years um, in various roles, but set up the contented child five years ago because I realized it was really hard for parents to access support. Uh, in actual fact, we work with schools now as much as we work with parents um, because schools are also realising um, how much that is key to a child's ability to learn. So um, at The Contented Child, we offer uh, training for schools and for parents, uh, but we also work one-to-one -one with young people um, but also in groups as well. I'm just in the process of setting up some group content for young people they can access online. So because, you know, the services are really stretched and I'm having a lot of parents contact me who were on waiting lists. But of course, the pandemic and lockdown has meant that they can't access that support for their children. So we are aiming to plug that online gap as much as we can. I do love your background. <laughs> it's great, isn't it? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, um, and you, you've got a big Facebook group that you've developed in that time, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, so we've got um, almost 137,000 on the Facebook page. Um, and so we aim to share lots of useful content. In fact, I've had lots of parents message saying that that's, that content is really keeping them going in this time. But we also have a private parents page as well, which anyone who has attended our workshops, webinars or used our services can be in that private parent group where we continue to offer support where we can. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And, and and presumably you've you've seen, um, and I know as a parent, you've, you've met my little one there, my little Noah, and uh, I've got an older daughter. 
as a as a parent through the pandemic, there's been a range of challenges um, for parents. You know, and we're now into uh, you know, homeschooling again in the UK. From from the work that you do, Nikki, how have you seen those challenges manifest themselves with uh, with with parents and children that you work with in the last twelve months? I think it's been it's been very different in the first lockdown. Uh, it was spring, the good weather was coming, so children could spend a lot of time outdoors. It almost felt like a, like a little bit of a holiday in some respects that you could, and certainly I think the parents for whom it really works well were those who could embrace it and, and embrace that time with their children. And obviously that's an, a lot easier if, for instance, you were furloughed, you didn't have that pressure to work from home. So, and, you know, I'm in a school two days a week as a consultant. And in the first lockdown, we purely put out workbooks because I don't think anyone, anyone really grasped that this would go on as long as it has. So that first lockdown um, was easier. But although we had a lot of parents attending our training, so our webinars, we moved from in-person workshops to webinars. And we were incredibly busy with those. We've got quite a broad range because we also cover things like autism, ADHD, um, dyslexia, etc. with other members of the team. Um, but this lockdown feels very different because Schools now have online learning in place. And so there's that much more demand upon parents. So now everyone's, everyone's too exhausted to attend a webinar. But what we are getting is a lot of emails from parents who are feeling quite desperate about how to manage their children's emotional well-being. So, so hence why I'm now creating online content for parents and children to access together. Yeah, fantastic. And I, I think that's really an interesting point, isn't it, about accessing together, because I think this is a, um, we can't sort of look at the, you know, kind of how children are feeling in isolation to how the parents are feeling, can we? It, it, is, it is very connected right now. Absolutely. And self-regulation begins with co-regulation. So as such, we are modelling to our children how to manage their emotions. So that means parental well-being is of utmost importance because those little people are watching us all the time and taking from our example. So we can also model those healthy coping practices as well. Yeah. Yeah. So take, uh, it's really fascinating and it's, it's both professionally and uh, as, as, a, as a dad. Um, so taking a step back though, what, what, what do you think our children are going through right now from a, a kind of psychological point of view? I know it's a generalisation, but what are the themes? So we've seen a lot of children who are very worried about the effect of the virus. Um, you know, obviously it's very difficult because as much as you can try and protect them, some children will be, have had a bereavement. Mm. Or if they haven't, then, you know, it's everywhere, isn't it? It's, it's on the news. Uh, if they're of an age, they can access social media. They're hearing about these figures of people dying. So we've got a lot of children who are anxious 
about family members. But also once you go into lockdown, children in many cases have lost routine. Uh, when you, we spoke previous to this, you mentioned, is it the social connection? And I think, yes, there is that, and certainly we should be putting in strategies to, to manage that. So weekly, maybe Zoom sessions with their friends or waving at the bottom of a driveway when we do our, our daily exercise. Yeah. But actually, I think it's the lack of routine, which is key for most children. And I'm sure adults can see that as well within themselves. So I think as much as possible, if we can create a routine for those school days for our young people, rather than, uh, and some schools online learning will, in essence, create that routine. But certainly for our younger children, it's hard for them to communicate what it is that they're missing. Yeah. So I think if we can replicate those school routines as much as possible, then that will help them. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you see my little lad there. He's, you know, he's, he's a ray of sunshine. And I know all parents will say that, but he's, he's, you know, he's generally a really happy lad, but he's experiencing quite a lot of anger. And would you say that's him not being able to process, as you've just alluded to, and could be due to that loss of routine? Absolutely. Anger is a secondary emotion. It's usually, it is always underpinned by a primary emotion. And so if you can think that there, there could be some anger, that well, there most definitely is anxiety going on with that all of a sudden you know going to school's gone that routine so but there'll be frustration there'll be lots of emotions underpinning that anger and when I work with children it's about teaching them to recognize those primary emotions so they can put coping and calming strategies in place before it becomes anger so if you think about it in terms of the stress bucket, you know, the, when the anger happens is, is when our stress bucket is overflowing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a nice analogy, isn't it? And I, I often talk about, you know, trying to build a bigger bucket. Um, so how do we help them build, build the bucket that can, uh, they can deal with that or at least have that sort of overflow valve that allows that? Um, yeah, more importantly about structuring that tap on the yeah. side of the bucket that, lets the water out and that is about having those coping and calming strategies you know when they're learning it's about having frequent brain breaks you know usually that's some form of exercise it might be going out bouncing on the trampoline for for 10 minutes and might be doing star jumps it might be doing something a little bit lower paced as well, but about having that break. And, you know, certainly if we're looking at primary age children, they should be having that every half hour. So we're, we're, parents, I think, maybe aren't aware how many breaks children naturally have within the classroom setting. So we need to make sure they're getting those breaks because actually they'll be more productive if they do. Yeah. So what, what sort of length of time of learning would you kind of recommend between breaks? Uh, a half hour for yeah. your key stage ones. So your four to seven year olds. Um, although by, say, year five, six, you might be looking at them being able to work for about 45 minutes. I have real concerns that some of this online learning is too screen based. Yeah. 
there's lots of demands for children to be on screen too long. And so we kind of, where possible, need to make sure that those breaks are coming in, but also that their downtime isn't too screen-based as well. Yeah, and again, that's a huge challenge for for, for many of yeah. us, you know, in the rise of the uh, the tablet and the games and, and Minecraft and all of this uh, all of this stuff, yeah. right? And what I would say to parents of, of younger children is try to resist it for as long as you can. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult though, social pressures once they're at school. It, it is, it's uh, it's super difficult. Um, and, um, you know, I think, tr as you say, limiting and putting boundaries in place, um, but it's a, it's a constant, it's a constant challenge and a constant thing you need to work at. Yes, but when we work with families and they do pull back from the, that screen time, there is always an improvement in behaviour. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So we, we've spoken a bit about the, the what, what children might be experiencing. What about parents? Because for me, this seems like the impossible challenge. And even if you're accepting that we can't be per perfect at this, and we talked about that at the, the top of the show, um, even trying to balance you know, two working parents uh, or, or a single working parent and, and being a decent parent, as well as doing a job and coping with everything going on, it's, it, it seems really difficult to get it all right. Yes, and I think, as I spoke earlier about uh, modelling, handling emotions to children, we can also model healthy working practices as well. The other thing which I think parents maybe have lost sight of, so certainly some parents are saying I'm not getting anything done because I'm having to be with my child all the time. Now, that may be true, for instance, of those four and five-year-olds, but for children in a classroom, there is a great amount of independent learning. So, for instance, the teacher will give the input and there might be six tables in a classroom. Two of those tables. So the teacher might be on one, the TA might be on another. But four of those tables of probably six work independently. So. You know, the, the, the work that is being set for your children should hopefully be work that they can do independently. They may not let on that they can do, you know, because they might be feeling anxious. They may be craving that support, but don't lose sight of the fact that they can work independently. Yeah. Uh, and they will do in school because that is your opportunity to hopefully be able to do some of your own work as well yeah i think and, that's uh, sorry go on but those those brain breaks super important um and something that for our own sanity as well and the routines yeah so keeping to those routines and certainly some parents have reported that children cope better if they put on their school uniform yeah uh, just because that signifies the difference between home and school because it's very difficult when you're at home all the time. So I think if you do have a working space for your child, you know, that goes away once school finishes. Yeah. I think WH uh, Smith have some cardboard desks that they're selling very cheaply. I think that's ideal way to be able to put up a desk, take it away and, you know, this is work time. This is now home time. 
again. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's good advice for anyone. We talk about those boundaries between home and work uh, for, for, you know, for parents and for everybody. And I think it certainly does apply to, to our children. Um, but in listening to you speak there, Nikki, it reminds me of uh, a post that I saw you comment on, um, actually, with a good friend of mine, Pete Trainer, uh, And he was there as a CEO sitting across the kitchen table with his daughter working. Um, you know, so he was working away. And I think that, you know, if we can get the laptop out and do a bit of independent work together and, you know, just give support where it's required, that's quite a nice, um, we should be seeing that as a real good opportunity, actually, shouldn't we? Absolutely. And someone, uh, a post I, I put on on Facebook, someone uh, someone who was lo- obviously looking at the situation positively said, I'm relishing the opportunity to get to know this little human that I created better. Yeah. So, you know, people will take those positives and absolutely the pressures for hope for parents who are having to work from home or not are very different without a doubt. Yeah. But as parents, we also have got to be able to say, this timetable needs to work for me. Uh, for instance, the school I, I'm, I'm connected with, the content is pre-recorded. So that because we feel it's important, parents can access it at the time that works for them. Not all schools are doing that, which puts parents under a lot more pressure. So, and certainly Gavin Williams then said that um, live lessons are better. This actually goes against the advice that Ofsted have issued. Yeah. Um, But certainly for those working parents, it's got to work with you. Yeah, I see I've got kind of a mixed view on this as well. So so I think, I think, and this is a personal view, that I think there should be some live lessons as well as some recorded lessons because, uh, and and the, the personal example I give, my, my my school doesn't do live stuff, but they do they very they do very good recorded lessons, but they also for a couple of days a week, um, uh, the teacher will take a, a kind of register and it'll be twenty minutes and they'll. They, they, they see each other and they get to listen to a bit of a story and they, they can connect. And I, and I feel with, you know, two working parents that my little lad is missing that level of kind of connection, um, which I think some for me, it just feels like that that is, is important to add to the quality of the learning as well. Absolutely. And certainly where I am, I mean, I spend two days a week uh, doing Zoom emotional check-ins with children or with parents who are struggling. Um, We have, uh, for instance, for Children's Mental Health Week next week, Mm -hmm. we have a very socially distant collection of resources for the week. And we're we're putting on videos every day with fun activities for the children to do. So we are putting that live content in as well, but that learning content or traditional learning content is recorded. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a good that's a good balance. And I'm really interested in the point you make there about emotional check-ins over Zoom, particularly with children. Uh, it's hard enough to do an emotional check-in with an adult. Um, how do you go about that? What what sort of things do you do in that 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 sort of session? Uh, well, we have to make it very fun. Yeah. Uh, so there's always a game involved. Um, but remember, children I'm doing it with at school already know me, so there is already 
a relationship. However, I have just started delivering my uh, one-to-one sessions with new children online. So in a different way of working, for instance, if, I, if I'm sitting working face-to-face with a child, then we will sit and do the activity together. Whereas now doing those one-to-ones, I'm using a, a PowerPoint to explain the activity. But yes, emotional check-ins are absolutely key. We need to be talking to our children about their emotions and getting them comfortable to talk about them as much as we possibly can. Bearing in mind, children's brains are still developing and the area that allows us to regulate our emotions, our impulse control is still developing until the age of 25. So if you see your young people as a blank canvas, we need to put the right content in there and we need to keep teach them those healthy coping skills in terms of mental health. Yeah, absolutely. I, Nikki, I think my emotional regulation skills are still developing at 48, to be fair. Uh, I don't think I've quite cracked it yet. <laughs> if I have a room full of ladies, I will share that kind of comment about husbands <laughs> <laughs> yes guilty as charged absolutely true absolutely true um so we've we've spoken a little bit around um you know that sort of co-regulation um but i think in a bit more detail looking at you know that concept as a parent of putting your own oxygen mask on first where your well-being is concerned um and practically how can we do that because you know we're trying to hold down the job we're trying to do a decent job of that we're trying to look after our children we're trying to be a good parent you know it might seem that there isn't the time um uh, or the energy to look after yourself in all that and you might compromise that how can parents really look after themselves and what practical tips do you have As I said earlier, it's about making the children's timetable work wherever possible for you as well. There's a a great saying, which is a dysregulated adult will never regulate a dysregulated child. And kind of that brings it home and just it's it's actually a really positive uh, to model to a child you know what I'm struggling now so I need to take some time away to calm down so that's a really important message to give to children but also to ensure that you have those fun times with them as well and don't we are the adults uh, sometimes children have done things which maybe as adults we hold on to longer than we should And that stops us being able to move on from what has happened. So we need to ensure we're having those fun times with children, making sure that every time something goes wrong, that is a learning opportunity, which we can reflect on and talk about how we could have done it differently in in future So we're looking to fill that content in the child's brain so that hopefully next time they come upon that situation, they know what to do. So, yeah, so yeah, it's important we we use all those opportunities, Mm -hmm. but model taking time for ourselves as well. Yeah. Also, if we get it wrong, apologizing and explaining why we've got it wrong 
you know, once again, harking back to that, we can't be a 10 out of 10 all the time. And there will be times as parents, we maybe don't handle things correctly. So not letting that weigh on us, just moving on and tomorrow's another day. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that's um, the sort of leadership that we want to see in our workplaces. And it's the sort of leadership that we want to see at home is is admitting a mistake, apologising and owning it and not trying to um, trying to strive for a, a, a perfection that doesn't exist. And I think for me, there's also the bit about kindness, which is linked to this, isn't there? There's being kind to oneself and understanding that it is going to be difficult and we won't get it right all of the time. And, you know, we've got to keep coming back with a positive frame of mind when we can. But, you know, sometimes it's just going to be a bit rubbish, isn't it? It is, particularly at the moment. And certainly this week I've seen when it was announced that schools definitely won't be going back for until the 8th of March you kind of almost heard a collective sigh from parents out there because it just, the goalposts keep getting moved as such. And obviously for good reason, but, you know, because of where people's personal feelings towards it are, then some people are finding that very difficult, that uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just look, looking at your son, obviously, Jack, Jack Green, um, a good friend of mine, although we've never met physically, Jack pointed out to me, we've never met in the real world. And yet we've built up such a good relationship and we're good mates. Um, but <laughs> which to how much you can actually do online yeah you can connect you absolutely can connect um but, but jack's obviously um like myself very open about his uh challenges with with mental ill health um and i i think it's really important um to give voice to the people who are the the, the carers for, for for people like jack and ourself and myself you know so as a, as a mother seeing jack you know suffer at times with his his challenges how did you offer support and what would you say to somebody out there that is you know struggling to come to terms with the fact that one of their children might be going through a, a mental health challenge right now yes i mean for me with jack it absolutely was a huge shock when it happened obviously it was post 2012 yeah uh, and I think it was actually Jack didn't live quite a distance away so I didn't see him that often so I wasn't able to pick up on what was happening until I went to the first race in 2013 and the young man who was on the start line was a very it looked like it was the last place he wanted to be yeah. And it was then that I actually said to him, what is going on? And that was when he told me. Um, looking back, I can absolutely see that he had the presentation for that to be an issue. He was a perfectionist as a child. He always strived to be better. It was never good enough. You know, he was always pushing for more. And so I'm very passionate when I see that in young people now. And so if there's any parents out there that are letting children win at games, stop. Mm. Children need to learn how to lose. Yeah. So I hasten to add, I'm quite competitive, but I didn't let Jack. He very much had a very smooth route to the senior ranks. He always won. So 2012 was kind of his first time he came up against something that didn't really go to plan. But 
Um, yes, obviously, um, now he has had those issues. I'm super proud that he can use that to help others and the fact that he is an ambassador for Young Minds as well as other charities. But I think certainly, you know, I'm, I'm always aware and looking out for where I feel he's at. And yeah. um, fortunately now that has happened and he has, you know, he quite openly says he had counselling. So he is very much able to talk about it now. But in terms of looking at parents, I would say put in that preemptive work. You know, you can start teaching a child emotional regulation right from when they're little babies. Mm into toddler and going upwards so but certainly making sure if you look at the world health organization's five ways to well-being that's something we certainly should be making sure children are accessing all those healthy routines and making sure it's embedded in their day-to-day life so putting in that preemptive work so that when things can go do go wrong for them that we can support them with that yeah. and educating ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, um, you know, it's really powerful stuff. And um, I know a lot of parents will be, be, be worried about their children right now. Yeah. Sadly, we, in, in my village, which is a small village in Kent, we uh, had a loss of a young man to suicide uh, just before Christmas. And, you know, it's really tragic. And, you know, I think that the pandemic, will be causing a lot of difficulty for, 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 for young people right now, as we've been, been discussing. And I think the more we can have those open conversations as parents with our children, the, the better, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, if you are looking at particularly an older child, then seek those services Yeah, will yeah. help. You know, I have some children, they may only have six sessions with me and parents report that it has changed their lives so what I do is very much an education rather than a therapy so but it can it can change a whole family's life if children can learn can understand their brain the processes that are going on and can can learn those coping and calming strategies yeah yeah, fantastic. So, uh, um, Nikki, how can people find you? Um, how can people find the, the the group? So it's the Contented Child on Facebook. As I say, we post lots of useful articles and resources. Because we're such a large community there, I'm not really, I don't really have a community on Instagram or elsewhere. We're mainly Facebook focused, but we also have our website, which is thecontentedchild.co.uk. Fantastic. Well, we'll uh, we'll put some links into uh, into the notes on the on the show, and um, yeah, very keen to hear about your uh, new course that's coming out. So, uh, best of luck with that. I'll certainly be uh, checking that out myself. Um, so that that was amazing. Thank you so much. It's been um, such a pleasure um, speaking with you, Nikki, and um, really you. getting your uh, your insights. And I know a lot of people will find that very helpful. So thank you so much. Well, that's just a snippet of <laughs> uh, what I could have spoken about. 
I hope people have found that useful. Yeah, fantastic. So this is the form guide, everyone, where we're discussing um, interesting conversations about proactively managing our well-being and our form. And um, it's been great to, to focus on this much needed area with, with Nikki now. Um, look forward to seeing you uh, next week. We've got um, uh, Amanda McKenzie, OBE, who is the CEO of Business in the Community, where we'll be talking a little bit more about leadership um, and authentic, vulnerable leadership um, as we travel through this pandemic. So thanks for joining us. Um, my name is Rob Stevenson, and we'll see you very soon.